Welcome to Sex Chat for Christian Wives. I'm Chris Taylor of Honeycomb and Spice. I'm Gay Christmas of Calm, Healthy, Sexy. I'm Jay Parker of Hot, Holy, and Humorous. And I'm Bonnie Burns of Strong Wives. Pull up your chair to our virtual kitchen table and let's chat. Welcome back to Sex Chat for Christian Wives. For many years, there were few resources for Christians who wanted to learn how to have a healthy sex life. Now, Christians can find more and more books, courses, and videos to help them. It's great to have choices, but sometimes it's hard to know whether or not a particular resource is good. Today, we're joined by Felicia Masonheimer. She works to encourage women to discern God's truth and live out their faith boldly in every area of their lives, including in the bedroom. And we thought it would be great to have her join us to talk about evaluating sex resources. Felicia, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's so cool to be here because I listen to your podcast all the time. Yay! <laughs> Yay welcome. Oh, Yay! You've probably listened to it more than I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's good. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's really great. We're binge-worthy. So let's jump right on in and start with talking about why it can be difficult to discern whether a particular resource is biblical and helpful. Well, I think there's been an uptick in sexuality resources in the last 10 years. I know most of you have been blogging about sexuality for quite some time. And if you remember back 10, 12 years ago, there really wasn't a lot out there on the topic compared to what we see today. I started my blog about 12, 13 years ago and about 10 years ago was writing about sexuality as well, then eventually branched into theology as a whole. At that time, there were limited resources in the discussion of biblical sexuality and how we should talk about it and approach it. And so now there are a lot more and we live in a time where sexuality is an even more divisive topic, especially theologically. And so I think that discernment for sexuality resources has never been more necessary, especially from a theological standpoint, because we want to be making sure that what we are consuming and what is shaping our minds and hearts in regard to our marriages, in regard to our own identity and our view of sex, and then, of course, in regard to culture, is something that honors science but also is rooted in God's Word. It feels to me like this has been both good and bad in that we have become far more aware of the need for resources. And so for a long time, a lot of the talk, well, either you didn't talk about sex and a lot of Christian bookstores wouldn't carry anything that addressed sex. Or if they did, it was so euphemistic as to be bland and unhelpful. <laughs> yes. um, so, I mean, it was far more sensitive to language than the Bible ever was. And so there was just not much going on with that. Maybe talked about sexual sin, but we became aware of it. But then we're kind of now on the whole other side that so many people have written about this. And not everybody who says I'm a Christian and writes on this topic is both of those, is both a Christian and really writing biblically about this topic. And some of them have great motives. They just, you know, you can think something wrong and spread wrong information. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of pastors don't talk about sex from the pulpit either. And, you know, I know a lot of times people will say to me, well, I'm reading something because my pastor mentioned it in a sermon and I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And when we don't have pastors who are comfortable addressing sex, either from the pulpit or even sometimes in pastoral counseling meetings, it's 
hard to even know what we should be looking for. You know, if we look to our pastor for guidance on those things and we're not getting guidance about sex, it's hard to know where to start with discerning what's a mm-hmm. good source and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have just a little tangent. I read on Brush Fires Foundation that less than 35% of pastors feel that they are qualified to address sexual issues with their congregants. That's wow. a wow. very low wow. percentage. And some of those who feel that they are qualified probably are not. <laughs> I was going to say, no 35% offense. probably is not inaccurate because, you know, I don't think a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. It does they, make me wonder, too, if you have a male pastor talking about this, that, you know, being male, he can try and have a perspective for the women who are in his congregation. But there's also the piece of like, are there women in the church who can talk about this openly and disciple, you know, about sexuality with other women? Because I know that a lot of women, at least for me, I'm not sure that I would be comfortable going to counseling to talk about a sexual issue with a male pastor at certain times in my life. So there's a gap there as well that may be revealing why people don't know where to go for these resources within the church. This is one of my little mini rants, too, that you hit on, which is that I have heard from a fair number of male pastors who are very unaware of higher drive wives. Well, I don't hear about them. And I'm like, of course you don't hear about them because what woman is going to come to you and say, hey, I want sex a whole lot more than my husband. And what guy is going to be willing to admit Yes, I am not as interested as my wife is when all you ever talk about is how men want sex all the time. So they don't hear about that. And if you don't have other resources, then people could be missing an important piece that will speak to a a fair number of marriages, whatever that is. It could be that. It could be trauma. It could be whatever. But pastors aren't always hearing all the stories. And here's one of my many rants. (laughs) Uh, Here we go. I yield the soapbox to you. (laughs) Thank you. Quite a few pastors are in marriages that are sexually unsatisfying to them. And the reality is that a husband who's not doing great sexually with his wife may not be willing to stand up and say things that need to be said because he's afraid of upsetting his wife. And that's a very real fear. And so I think some pastors who are qualified and would be able to say the right things don't personally feel comfortable doing so because they're humans and they have marriages and they want to have happy wives. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm off my my soapbox. Okay, I'll get on my mini soapbox (laughs) and say that 60% of pastors have problems viewing pornography. So they don't have a biblical view. And how can they you know, discuss that with their congregants if they're skewed. But getting back to, go ahead. Oh, I was going to kind of get back to the question too, because I was going to mm-hmm. ask uh, Felicia. <laughs> so you talk a lot about theology, and I think one of the underlying things here is trying to discern whether a particular resource is biblical or helpful is we don't really generally in the church have a great theology of sex. Well, the church at large is rather theologically uneducated on the whole, which is a a huge problem in itself because, at least in the West, there's this idea that theology is boring 
And the only people who need to study it are those going into ministry. And if you're a woman, why would you be going into ministry? So why would you be studying it? So there's like this chain effect that kind of has happened that has led to, there's a lot of factors, but have led to this lack of theological education in general. And of course, then it carries over to sexuality, which left the church very exposed to cultural narratives around sex, including these ideas that men are just animals and can't control their urges or men are the only ones who want sex. These are cultural ideas that the church mm-hmm. has just adopted mm-hmm. wholesale. And you guys have talked about this before. That's not biblical. It's not what scripture teaches. But unless you are actually studying the Bible for yourself and know where to go for good resources and know to say, hey, wait a second, you know, what's the Bible say about men and sex? Does it really say that this is only the wife's duty to him and that he's going to leave her if she needs to take a break because she had a baby? You know, things like that. We've all heard those uh, really nasty, extreme versions of this conversation. And we have to say, I'm going to check that theology of sex and theology of God and what he wants for sex against scripture. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make sure that this lines up. And so that does require a curiosity, but it also requires a level of courage because I think a lot of men and women are in churches today that teach some of these really unhealthy and unbiblical views of sexuality. And to even question them is scary and they'll get pushback from their pastor and from people in their church. And so it's a really scary road sometimes to walk and ask those questions and even pick up a book about this stuff. And so it does give me a lot of compassion for people who are in that process of discerning. Well, let's go ahead and move on to talking about what people should consider when they're evaluating a resource. So what are some things that we can all recommend when you have a sex resource? How do you know if it's a good one or not? Well, I think that's one of the important things is, does it appeal to a biblical foundation? What is the perspective of the author or the source that's providing this? Are they starting from biblical principles and a desire to have godly sexuality? And I would go back, let me go back to question one about difficulty discerning. I think as Felicia has just mentioned, we as women need to start scouring our Bible to understand Mm. what sex in marriage is all about. And as Felicia just said, what are the roles? But first do that. And then when you have that knowledge, you will better be able to evaluate because you've got that foundation. You know, not all people who say they're biblical have uh, the truth. Well, that's true. You know, so... You've got to figure out what, not what your truth is. You've got to figure out what the biblical truth is and go from there. Which, I mean, I would think as a listener, maybe the thought is, well, a lot of people are saying there's all these different biblical truths about sex, you know, Mm -hmm. like everybody has their version of biblical. But I think one of the best passages that really sums this up is Ephesians 5. But if you look at the whole of Ephesians as a book, you can't just take Ephesians 5 out and go, okay, this is, you know, the setup for marriage and ignore the rest of the book. But if you look at Ephesians as a whole book, and then what it says to married couples, it's all about self-sacrifice, right? And so a biblical sexuality is really about loving the other person more than yourself, loving God and honoring him with your sexuality, and then loving 
others and honoring their sexuality, your spouse, honoring their sexuality, which then would result in compassion for a lower drive spouse and communication about what goes on in the bedroom and things like that. It really all comes back to the two greatest commandments to love God and love others. And that's what Jesus said to do. So if that's the undergirding foundation for your view of sexuality, then you can take that to the other passages that talk about sex and say, okay, through this lens, what do I do in my marriage? So getting very practical, I will also say that I am skeptical of any resource that gives you a guarantee mm-hmm. that says, read this book and I guarantee that your spouse will go crazy and do this. Read this and this will definitely happen. Look, I understand that if I wrote stuff like follow these 10 things and you'll have a fantastic sex life by next week, maybe I'd get a lot of hits, maybe I'd get a lot of sales, but I also don't like to lie. And God gave us free will. And also life is challenging. So those two things put together, that's why we constantly talk here about baby steps (laughs) (laughs) and things like that, because there's no guarantee. This is a process. And also it is a good thing that it's a process because by having a process that forces it not just to be about sex, but about personal growth. Mm. And God is very into personal growth and us growing close to him. I would have put on my former career hat. I was a college writing professor for over 25 years and taught students how to evaluate resources for certain purposes. But one of the things I always stressed with them was to always start by thinking about what your source's intention and purpose is. And I think even when we find a book that we can tell is as a biblical foundation, I think it's really important to look at what that author is trying to do in that book. If I write a book that is for wives about how to, say, deal with your own sexual baggage— And then someone comes along and says, oh, well, here's all this other stuff that you don't cover. You don't talk about what the husband should be doing or if the husband's using porn. Well, if that's outside the purpose of my book, Mm -hmm. then you should really be judging it on the basis of what it is trying to do. And for me, one of the best ways to determine what the author thinks he or she is trying to accomplish in a particular resource is to read the introduction. I know a lot of people skip introductions because they're boring, they're not the real book, but that's where you can get a sense of the author's heart and intention. And I think that that is a really great way to get a sense of what the book is saying. And on Amazon, you can usually read the introduction for free. You know, when you click get a free sample, that's a really great way to at least start to think about whether it would be a good resource. Gay, do you have any thoughts? No, but I have a question related to one of my little mini rants. And I'd like to know what Felicia thinks about this as a person trained in theology, because I am not, and I am sadly one of those people who thinks that theology is boring. But I think kind of going back to the idea that a lot of people say their teaching or their book on sex is biblical, but there are many, many different biblical ideas. So one of my kind of values in that area is how does the author value women in talking about sexuality? Because I think a lot of Christian writing and teaching about sex, in my mind, devalues women. So I would be curious to know what your thoughts are on that from the Bible and from the way Jesus treats women and from God's view of women and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I think that's a huge clue into what the author's intent is. And I totally loved Chris's tip about reading the introduction because we just wrote, I have a co-author who is writing a marriage book with me that's coming out in December. And in our introduction, that was the goal was to say exactly this is what this is. This is what it's not. This is who it's for. And so I think that's a super great way to get a clue into what does this author think about women at large? And sometimes you can't really tell until you get deeper into the book. Or if you're lucky and can follow them on social media, sometimes you can get a clue. I am oh, thinking oh of, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of a pastor I have followed off and on over the years who some of the things he said about women, I've been at conferences where he spoke and the things he said about women were like you, you almost wouldn't believe it if you heard it. You you actually were like, wait, what? I, what? And he's arguing that it's biblical. And mm. it's just that, you know, these might be extreme examples, like sort of fringers on Christianity who teach some of this extreme stuff about women and really do devalue women, but it's out there. And so you do want to look for that in the book that you're reading. What is their view of the marriage relationship? Do they see men and women really as equal? Even if they hold to a complementarian view where men and women have different roles, do they genuinely believe that men men and women are equal in God's eyes and that their sexuality and their desires are equally important in God's eyes because a true complementarian will hold on to that. They'll say that her desires and her needs should matter to the husband just as much as the husband's matter to the wives. It's patriarchy that takes it the mm -hmm. sinful direction that, mm -hmm. that abuses women or matriarchy that abuses men. So true complementarianism should honor both people. And if that's not happening, that's not biblical complementarianism. That's patriarchy and it should be rejected. Amen. Yep. One of the other things that goes along with what you've said is I've seen this on some blogs and stuff where if the resource is primarily about blaming the other gender for everything. I can think of one blog in particular written by a man that I guess every now and then I've ended up on just to see what he says. And I don't know why I ever land on there because I, I walk away angry every time because essentially the perspective is that everything that could possibly be wrong with a marriage is obviously the woman's fault. But I seen this, you know, on both sides, actually a little bit. And so anytime a resources is not about what you can do to impact the situation. And look, even if you're in a situation where your spouse is doing terrible things, a good resource will tell you what you can do about that, will empower you to do something to influence the situation. I'm glad that some of you mentioned blogs, because I think anytime you have a, a, a resource by someone who also has a blog as well as social media, I think that's really a good chance to get a sense of whether the resource is biblical, the, the author's view of women, of godly sexuality. Spending some time on a blog with free blog posts can help you decide whether to invest money in a course or a book by that person. Or listening to their podcast like we have and like Felicia has. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a good help for sure. Another thing I'd mention when you're discerning through these is paying attention to what they're for and what they're against. Mm -hmm. Because it's really easy to be against. It's harder to be clear on what you're for. 
And if a writer is pointing out all the problems with every other thing out there or pointing out all the problems with like the opposite gender only, that's a problem because it's going to skew their argument and skew the information that's being presented because it's all on the offensive against something. Instead of saying, this is the issue that I see and this is what I'm for. And this is what I'm hoping to present from a scriptural foundation. And also making sure that the resource, a lot of times you can tell a good deal by who's endorsing it. If you look at the endorsements on the cover, on the back cover, on the inside couple pages, you can look at who are the people who are endorsing this book, um, what are they saying about it. If you know who they are, that gives you a little bit of an idea theologically of what's going to be inside the book and also can tell you a little bit of what to expect. And I think that can be important, especially with sexuality resources, because so much can be bound up in that conversation, both when it comes to our faith and when it comes to your view of yourself and your marriage by the time you're done with the book. So what are they for? What are they against? And endorsement lists can be a good clue as well. I'll just kind of throw my what I value in a book and find credible is when they're balanced. And maybe that's kind of what Jay was getting at. But I like a balanced view to take a topic and and show me both sides and then let me decide within sexuality. What would that look like? I'm not really sure. But (laughs) I just don't like to be given one viewpoint. I like to be able to pick because I want to make the final decision. You know, I suggested earlier thinking about the writer's purpose, but I also think it's really important to think about what, you know, when I approach a resource, what is it that I want to get out of it? Mm -hmm. And is my goal to learn something about godly sexuality? Is it to learn about steps I can take about something? If what I'm looking for is not what that book offers, that might not be the best book for me at this time. Right. I think all that comes down and what struck me, Bonnie, about what you're saying is there's a sense in which you trust the reader, that you don't talk down to the reader or tell the reader everything to think. You're explaining things, but you trust that the reader can use their discernment. And I'm not trying to create disciples of my system. That's not what I'm doing. I don't need disciples. None of us need disciples. Jesus needs disciples. Yeah. I would add on to that, Jay, too, that as a reader, it's important to give grace to the author as well. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes there's this, especially with marriage books, well, this didn't work for me, so it's a rotten book. (laughs) And it's like, well, actually, this book worked for a lot of people, and it really helped them a lot. Just because it didn't work for me doesn't mean I'm going to slam it to every single other person who is going to read this book. Josh and I read a few marriage books during our premarital counseling. One of them was really helpful to us. One of them was not. But some of our closest couple friends benefited greatly from the book that didn't help us. And I think it's really important to be honest that just because your experience doesn't resonate with a particular book does not necessarily mean that it's unbiblical. It just means that your experience doesn't resonate with what that author is Mm -hmm. saying or how they're saying it. And so it's a fine line, but maybe there's a point you go, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, throughout the rest of the book, do they counter that point? Do they offer another side? You know, do they give qualifications for what they said? Context is really important too. So yanking one quote, out of a book and saying, this author says this thing about sex without the context or without, Mm. you know, other chapters that, that would maybe offer more that balanced out that one quote. It's important to give the author's grace in that regard. 
And to remember that also they are human and they're limited by their publishers to a certain amount of words and a certain amount of chapters. So don't throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to books. I think readers have to be just as careful in their reading and gracious in their reading as authors need to be careful and gracious in their writing. I agree with all of that. That's just excellent. I'm going to add one thing and I'll get a little personal here. Something I'll just go ahead and announce publicly that I haven't really before, which is that I grew up in a household with a, uh, a father who could be abusive. And my father could take all kinds of things that were perfectly fine and read them and turn them to what he wanted them to say. So I decided to go ahead and be personal about this because I want any wife who's in the situation, if you are in an abusive marriage, that marriage book that was written for marriages with two Goodwood people is not for you. And if your husband is reading something and then putting it in front of you, pulling out quotes or pulling out this and that and shoving that in your face, that may not even be what the author said, but that's not for you. So if you're an abusive or emotionally destructive marriage, the general marriage books out there are not for you. You need to get help for your specific situation. And if that's the case, I'd say sex isn't the major thing that needs to be addressed either. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Just going back to what Felicia, what you said about, you know, sometimes a book works for you, a book worked for you and your husband, but it didn't work for friends of yours or vice versa. I think women should know that they can pay attention to their instincts on that. So it's not just always that my personal perspective is the right thing. But if you're reading a book and it doesn't resonate with you or it's teaching things that feel uncomfortable to you, I think it's okay to pay attention to that. And just Mm -hmm. because the author is a famous person, a famous pastor, whatever, that doesn't mean their advice is always right for you. But I think... Women sometimes are taught to not pay attention to their intuition or thoughts about something, but to listen to the expert voice. So I just want to encourage women that if something doesn't ring true with you or resonate, that's fine. That may just not be the right resource for you. Mm -hmm. You know what else I like to see in an author? Humility. I think, Jay, this goes back to what you were saying about, you know, I guarantee you do these things and you're going to have a great sex life by next week. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, an author with humility is going to acknowledge that this advice isn't going to always work in every situation. I I think you should be very proud of your humility, Chris. Oh, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And going along with grace, I think the reader as they're giving grace, they also need to understand their perspective because we can get so caught up in our perspective or what's going on in our marriage that we let that overshadow everything we read. I think we have to be really aware of where we're coming from. You know, I I appreciate what, what you shared earlier, Jay. I just want to tell you, I heard you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back soon with more of our conversation. Revival AI presents a -a once-in-a-lifetime investment opportunity. Through our SEC-regulated offering at RevivalAI.com, own stock in the future of Bible design and manufacturing. From content, format, and version to custom covers, become an owner of the only tech company to give Christians the power to design a personalized Bible. For as little as $100, invest in Revival AI, a company revolutionizing the Bible industry and bringing the production of God's Word back to America. Learn more at Revival AI.com. 
We're back with more of our conversation, and we're going to shift gears just a little bit and talk about secular resources. There are so many wonderful Christian resources about sex now, but there also are a lot of good resources that are not faith-based. So how can we determine which of those might be helpful to us? Because there's a lot of good stuff out there, but there's also a lot of dangerous and bad stuff out there that just comes from a cultural perspective of sex. I mean, I know we all read them. Um, you just read through with a discerning filter to pick out the good stuff and, you know, throw away the bad stuff. But I guess if you don't know what the good stuff is, that might be a problem. Well, uh, I think for one thing, though, I do discard anything that has imagery that I find problematic. So, you know, I've been in a bookstore before and picked something up and there's photographs, you know, to me, they're soft porn. And so I just feel like whatever information is that book is not worth the other stuff. And so I set it back. But medical stuff in particular can be very helpful. So I'll end up a lot of times on health sites that will tell me different things. And I've also, you know, looked a lot of things up in scholarly journals or articles about research. Though even then, I will say you kind of like we were talking before, you have to ask yourself what was the intent of the researchers and what were they specifically looking at? Because sometimes the researchers will already begin with a secular, unbiblical bent in what they're looking for. Anyway, so it just depends on what you're what you're doing on that. A lot of scholarly research is done by interviewing college students. And so if I'm wanting to know something about relationships, long-term relationships, specifically marriage, I'm probably not going to find much that's helpful in an article that was based on college students who've been in relationships for five years. I've seen a lot of articles also that will publish survey data, and they'll say 700 adults were surveyed, and then you find out it they was uh, from, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 I was going to say it, it was done from, from shoppers at the sex toy company. It's like, okay, well, that's not. <laughs> that's a skewed data pool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tend to, when I'm looking at secular resources, I tend not to look at things about relationships and what relationships should be like, because that's not going to come from a biblical perspective. And I do want relationship advice to be biblical, but I will look at things like Ju said, medical stuff. I look at anatomy. Um, sometimes I'll look at resources about communication strategies. Those things I find helpful because my faith isn't going to make much of a difference in how I see that. It's you know, here are some suggestions, here's information, and I can pretty much just take that and use what I want from it. Yeah, I think that's a great distinction, Chris, in that it's like a a difference between the relationship and like the practical advice. Mm -hmm. I mean, like even things like positions or I don't know, date night ideas. Like I use secular resources for that kind of thing. I've used, there's a, a communication and flirtation coach named Matthew Hussey, who I have read his stuff before because he talks about like communicating with men and flirtation with men and how they receive it and understand it. And I thought I can kind of apply some of this to my Christian married relationship. I just filter through it. So like you're saying, I love that concept of like what they're saying about relationships is going to fundamentally be at odds, most likely with the Christian worldview. But some of the more practical stuff or scientific content can be helpful to a degree for sure. 
You know what else is, I sometimes will go to some of my favorite sex bloggers, in other words, like all of you around this virtual table, and see if anybody's mentioned specific resources. So if I'm wanting something on communication strategies or on sex positions, I might look at sex authors who I already trust and know and see if they can guide me. So I'll give another example is that a fair number of Christian authors have cited some of the research from the Gottman Institute, wrote seven principles for making marriage work, I think. Anyway, well known for marriage research. Uh, Their values are not all my values. So everything they put out is not in line with where I am. But they did some research and they backed it up with some evidence. And I, I've looked at all of that. And there's some, some quality stuff there that matches a biblical view of long-term relationships. Yeah. And that's their focus is long-term, which mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Not so they're not your 19-year-old. college. Yeah. Yeah. They actually have a, a, or they had a love lab where they brought married couples in for the weekend to spend time at this apartment and then they observed them. Mm-hmm. And so it was from that observation, how they came up with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are the observed four things. Observed them doing what? Just living life for a weekend. <laughs> Yeah. Just interactions, yeah. communication. Interaction. Yeah, they probably let them have their, you know, it their, their privacy at night. But yeah. yeah, they were not they were not there to study sexuality. They with weren't the relationship. Boyers, We should make no. that clear. <laughs> just checking. Yeah. Well, I thought it would be kind of nice if we could all just share some of the resources that we think are pretty good. You know, we have people listening to this who are thinking about how to discern resources. That doesn't mean we can't share some things that we think would be great. And I know some of you have resources that are pretty great. So what are your recommendations for our listeners? I would like to recommend anything by Leslie Vernick. If you are in a marriage that you uh, might be concerned is abusive or you know for a fact it's abusive and you just don't know what to do, Leslie Vernick is a wonderful resource for that. I have to admit that in preparation for this, I picked up Felicia's book, Christian Cosmo, and went through it, and I was really impressed. There's just a lot of good information there, and I get asked periodically by people what resources are really good if you're about to get married, you know, what you should read, and now this is on my list. So thank you. That was a really good one. So now I'm going to say Christian Cosmo and Pillow Talk, <laughs> which is mine that right. we mentioned a bunch. <laughs> Well, thank you, oh, Jay. And, I appreciate and there's and and Bonnie also has a really good book on the Virgin. Yeah, the Brides. Virgin Bride's Guidebook, and soon, very soon, the, the orgasm book will finally be out. Unlock and, your orgasm, and you which also is have really impressive. Your... Bonnie sent it to me so that I could take a look at it, right. and I was very impressed because you don't often see both a biblical view and a scientific view together in my opinion. And I thought that that was really well done. Biblical and biological. And very (laughs) humble. Very humble. (laughs) Humble, Chris. (laughs) Well, you also have Unlock Your Libido, which is a really great resource. And it's set up sort of as a devotional. and And that's really good for women who are really struggling with that. One of the books that I think would have been most helpful to me during my own journey is probably Ruth Buses's Awaken Love. It's very thorough, and she talks very specific about a lot of the issues that I personally faced. And she has lots of very practical, specific advice for women as well. Yeah, I 
think any book by anyone on this podcast right now is an excellent book. I also like the books by one of our recent guests, Joyce Pinner mm. uh, and mm -hmm. her husband, The Gift of Sex. And there's one, oh, Enjoy the Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women. I think those are good. Those are good books. Mm -hmm. I think we're also fans of the uh, ministry by Julie Slattery called Authentic, Authentic Intimacy. Mm -hmm. And also Julie Seibert has mm -hmm. a good site with Intimacy in Marriage. Right. Yeah. And along Felicia's expertise, Julie Slattery's Rethinking Sexuality is a good theological book on mm -hmm. sexuality. Yeah, she has quite a few good books. I mean, she has one on Fifty Shades of Grey and the problems with that. She has 25 questions about love, sex, and intimacy that's super good. Really anything by her, I think, is going to be a trustworthy resource. And then for for me, I remember, and I haven't read this recently, but when we were first married, Intended for Pleasure was really helpful for us because it had it had drawings and like how to troubleshoot different sexual issues. And it was just really helpful in our first year of marriage. We actually brought it on our honeymoon and it helped us even then because we'd never slept together before our honeymoon. And so we did have some things that we had to work through and it actually was very helpful for us in that regard. So that's one of those that some people really don't find helpful or they really do, in my opinion, from what I've seen. Is but that it was the very wheat helpful. book? Yes. Adding right. gay wheat, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that was the only Christian sex book that existed when I got married because I've been married. I got married so long ago. I mean, that was the only one that I knew about. There were two that I knew about. And I remembered, I, I don't remember one of them. One thing I remember picking up and that it's had a section on sex positions. And I remember thinking, we did all of those in the first week. What else have you got? <laughs> <laughs> TMI. All right. <laughs> Does anybody else have anything to add before we wrap it up? I do have one thing to add, which is simply this. If we didn't mention your resource, that doesn't mean it's not a great resource because you know how this always goes when somebody asks resources and then I know I gave these and then 30 minutes from now I'll go, oh, why didn't I mention blah, 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 blah. That's the way it goes. So if I didn't mention yours and it's fantastic, it was the blah, 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 blah one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> Okay, Felicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us where our listeners can find you online? Yes, I'm at FeliciaMasonheimer.com and also Felicia Masonheimer on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find me on my podcast, Verity with Felicia Masonheimer. Most of my content is theological, but I have at least 20 or 30 blog posts about sexuality from when that was my primary topic. And you have, I just want to mention, even though our listeners are married folks, you have some wonderful resources on sexuality for single women as well. And so mm -hmm. I would just encourage any of our listeners, if you have someone in your life who is a single woman who's struggling with figuring out what it means to be a sexual person when you're not married, Felicia, you have some wonderful articles on that. So yeah, we'll provide links you. to all of that on our show notes. Thank you. Yeah. I would say actually about half of it is probably for singles and then another half is maybe for married. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more sex chat for Christian wives. Thanks, Felicia. Thank you, Felicia. <laughs> Thanks for having me. 